Talk Radio 570 KVI. It's KVI Want to Know Weekends. KVI Want to Know Weekends. Get ready to raise a toast with Seattle's most spirited hour of talk, Happy Hour Radio. Explore the best in Washington wines, beer, spirits, food, and more with your guide, Seattle sommelier, Christopher Chan. It's Happy Hour Radio, right now on Talk Radio 570 KVI. Well, hello, Seattle. Hello, Puget Sound, and welcome to Happy Hour Radio. I am your host, Christopher Chan, advanced sommelier, your weekend wine guy, and your commodore of cocktails. So pleased that you're joining me on Saturday night, 7, 6 to 7 o'clock, right here on 570 KVI. If you ever miss a show, remember we've got a website. It's called happyhourradio.net. got over 130 different episodes. And uh, I'm pleased it's the middle of August. Um, are these the dog days? I'm not sure. But uh, they are wine and beer and cocktail days for me and you, hopefully. Hope you got something great in your glass. Um, I'm revisiting my first show. My first show is was, uh, gosh, 30 months ago. And uh, that makes me almost a veteran in this industry. Um, uh, how many hours I've done this, not sure, but uh, uh, we've tasted a lot of wine and cocktails and beers and uh, great food and had lots of great stories. And um, I'm pleased to welcome back um, a very special gentleman. Uh, Emile Ninot is the founder of Champions Wine Cellars. And Champions it was founded in 1969, I believe, uh, as Seattle's first wine shop. Um, the first one to uh, uh, request a uh, liquor license from the state and uh, obviously set up shop. Over on uh, First and Denny, it's been there for um, quite a long time, and now with all this great development in Seattle, call it great, at least it's tall, um, he's looking for a new location. So we're going to chat up with Emil Nino, uh, talk about his his history and wine, uh, the wine scene 30 and 40 years ago now, and of course all the great wines he has in his uh, inventory, plus he brought some cool wines. Um, so uh, we'll wait no more time. Hey, Emil Nino, bienvenue to happy hour. Bonjour, 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 Seattle. That's right. Hey, welcome back. Um, I was honored to have you as my first guest, one of my first guests on the very first show, and it's a, it's a pleasure to have you back. Time flies, huh? 30 months ago. Indeed, indeed. And uh, on your first show, you had Brian Carter, also is a great friend of mine and great winemaker here in Washington State. So Yeah, I started that show with uh, some of, uh, well, I'll call them the patriarchs of our industry. And obviously, uh, you have a claim to fame of being, um, well, tell us, give me some history. First of all, um, you have a French accent, so I'm, I'm thinking that you're from France. I know you're from France. Tell me where you're from. Well, uh, certainly I'm French. But I was born in China, <laughs> in Shanghai, China, really? just before Second World War. And oh, I was going to say, so I thought the, the eyes look a little bit on me. That's but no. right. Well, no. you know, I have a little bit of the Chinese accent, perhaps. Everybody huh? does, right? <laughs> <laughs> like you. That's right. <laughs> anyway, uh, so after Second World War, um, we moved to Vietnam, my parents and I, and from Vietnam to France, and... Uh, when I finished my schooling in France, moved to San Francisco. I went to the University of San Francisco and was... Uh, so you're a Don, right? Indeed, a yes. A Don, <laughs> yeah. You and who else? I think Wilt Chamberlain was there or something like that. That's true. That's true yeah. in those days, yeah. And then transferred to the University of Washington in Seattle here. Had to go back to France for my military service during the Algerian War. And uh, uh. after... Having performed my duty there, came back to Seattle and... Did they uh, have sommeliers in the military in France? Oh, we drank lots of wine in France, but unfortunately <laughs> it was always a very poorly made wine. So, really? Yeah, each soldier in those days was allowed to a quart of wine a day, whether you liked it or not, a pack of cigarettes and a, 
and a can of shoe shoe polish. Oh, really? Yeah. So uh, <laughs> keep you busy. So you could have some wine, have a little guitar, right. and that's, then uh, polish those boots. Yes, the food, fortunately, was excellent. So the the wine was so so, but the uh, the food we were well fed in the French army. <laughs> Interesting. What was uh, w- what was your uh, unit number or troop or w- what was your position in the French military? Well, I had uh, a grade. Uh, I was actually a specialist in the radio and uh, transmission operations. And how about that? Yes, Here yes. you are. Mm-hmm. So it's good to have two professionals along with my uh, crack engineer, Kevin Andrew. <laughs> he looked up. All right. So yes. um, great. So you uh, ended up transferring to the University of Washington. Were you studying a specific uh, discipline? Uh, I already had graduated from France in business, and here at the University of Washington, they s- decided to change major, and so I obtained a degree in r- Russian literature, <laughs> <laughs> wow. yeah, language and literature. So you have so, a whole collection of Tolstoy. Then. So I thought perhaps you know I could teach Russian, but th- there weren't too many opportunities in those days unless you... You went to work for the United Nations or for the FBI or the CIA. And That's I wasn't, right. I wasn't interested in yeah. that very much. You could have been a spy, <laughs> which, right? Could have been a, spy. a very bad spy, probably. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, how did you get into wine? Obviously, you had your uh, your mandatory quart of wine per day, and what was it? A liter? <laughs> I trust. That's right, a liter. It was a, a liter day. back yes, then. Okay. Yes. Well, uh, I remember when um, moving from Vietnam to France, I was uh, living in Paris, uh, like about uh, 11, 12 years old, and um, my favorite beverage was cider, hmm. because uh, the kids uh, drank cider, and the parents drank wine naturally. So at uh, 11, 12 years old with my little buddies on Sunday would go on a picnic and always have a bottle of cider in the in a backpack. So I started with that uh, gradually and my parents always uh, enjoyed wine quite a bit and certainly wine is a, a main main item in France. It's considered as staples. a food. Yeah. It's, it's a food. And so I was exposed to, to many, many wines uh, gr- uh, growing up. You still have an affinity for cider today? Uh, still, yes, I, and I'm very happy to see how ciders are becoming so popular in in our state. Yeah, as well. absolutely, yes, big renaissance. We have some really amazing st- ciders made uh, by local producers now. I had the yeah. pleasure of being on the Pacific Northwest Cider Awards tasting panel a couple oh, of weeks mm-hmm. back, and uh, had a chance to taste a host of fantastic ciders, and then some that needed a little more <laughs> work. Um, but cider is one of those interesting things that uh, sometimes it's in a way is like wine that you can get something yes. that has uh, a lot of um, I won't call it terroir but it's it's like this came from a very specific place because it tastes really really different and uh, with those apples kind of fun Certainly. and of course Perry well the ciders of Normandy are, and Brittany are, are excellent and naturally they pair so well with various crepes that they make, either entree crepes or dessert crepes, and many other foods as well. Mm-hmm. And I, I know we need some creperies around here. I've seen some on the sidewalks where they've got those great, uh, those uh, round heating. Uh, it's like it's a little grill. It's a round little grill where they pour it and they brush it with that little. Uh, looks like a spatula or a tongue depressor or something. Certainly, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, fun mm-hmm. stuff. And uh, speaking with Emil Nino, who is the uh, founder of Champions Wine Cellars here in Seattle, and telling about. About his uh, history, his journey from uh, Shanghai to Vietnam to San Francisco to Seattle, and uh, of course your great military service. Um, did you uh, do you still have that uniform, that military uniform? Oh, definitely. Yeah? Yes, yes, mm-hmm. yeah. It was always uh, 
one uniform. <laughs> army, French army was never very generous with the shoes or the uniform. So for about 27 months, I always wore the same shirts, and <laughs> the same shirt and the same uniform. So it was well <laughs> worn. <laughs> oh, fantastic. Well, that's a great story. Um, you're talking about how you fell in love with cider at an early age and your parents were into wine. Uh, when did you have that, what we call the epiphany wine that said, oh my goodness, I am in love with wine? It's um, it happened actually um, very strangely. I was in those days. We had a great department store in Seattle called Frederick and Nelson. Oh yeah, and they had a, a, a wine section on the fifth floor with uh, gourmet items. And I ran into a bottle of Bordeaux that was very inexpensive. It was probably like a seven or eight dollar bottle of Bordeaux. What the, what's the time frame here? Uh, that was uh, in 1967. Cool. Perhaps, yes. All right. And uh, I found this wine incredible because I had it with a simple pasta dish in those days with a little Parmesan cheese on it. And so, and then I just, I worked in a number of restaurants in Seattle too that had, uh, especially the Clark restaurant. Mr. Walter Clark and Gene Clark had an amazing collection of great restaurants what in Seattle. What type of food were they? Well, Clark sounds very oh, English. Mr. Clark uh, had a famous restaurant, flagship restaurant called the Dublin House, the Windjammer. Oh, the Windjammer. The, the, yes. Uh-huh. Is that a Shilshul Bay? In Shilshul Bay. Yeah, and, I remember uh, that. Quite a few. The Red Carpet, naturally, by uh, by Frederick and Nelson as well. Oh, interesting. And uh, it was a great, great enterprise with gr- amazing food, excellent foods, perfect management. Uh, but it was the cocktail culture, and there were hardly any wines available. So there were uh, the wine list probably had like about two or three wines only. And oh boy! N- no wine by the glass at all. And there was so uh, this little. When I graduated from university, um, said what? I think we need something done here in Seattle. At least. <laughs> The restaurants need to improve their wine list, and um, so I, w- I was offered a job uh, as a manager uh, for Champion Wine Cellars, and I invested a thousand dollars in it. You know, so, and um, that's how the shop got started very, very slowly. So, who was the first owners? Uh, his name is David Champion Walls. He was a very good friend of mine, and there were. It was a group of other investors as well. So. And Champions was the uh, party supply place, right? Is that the same name? No, no, oh, no, not at all, not okay. at all. No, so and it happened about the same time when Starbucks was opening in the public market, the first uh, Starbucks shop in the public market, and the, the owner of Starbucks in those days and I were trading wine for coffee. Oh I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. We were pretty poor then, and. <laughs> So you do a lots of bartering in this type of business. You got the lifestyle going on. Well, you got some good coffee early on. And I was reading that book from Ron Holden, who was in here uh, last year, talking about the stories of old Seattle and the food and and beverage culture. And uh, I think he actually had a a mention of you. And, of course, uh, the uh, founding fathers of Starbucks. Yes. So um, you became a manager in this wine shop. How many wines were in this in Champion Wine Cellars at the time? Well, we, when we first opened the shop, I think I had only like about 50 wines, and uh, most of them were uh, Californian wines and uh, French. Okay. A couple bottles of Liefra Milch as well. All right, a little German blend. Huh? <laughs> and But there was zero, nothing from Washington State in those days. And I remember uh, St. Michel uh, winery was... Uh, uh, had a place uh, in the south end by the Boeing plant, uh, 
and there was just starting to make the Riesling then. Really? Was this yes. down in Georgetown, or was this more of in Renton? No, closer to Renton. Okay. On the First Avenue, there were at, yes, not far away from the Boeing plant. Interesting. And later on, it got purchased by some other outside investors, and... that. Altriers, and, right. and, some big corporation. And, and Saint-Michel moved to Woodenville, and you know how what Saint-Michel is like now, one of the grandest uh, wineries in the in the state. And, yes, you were just mentioning you were up yes. there for a picnic, and it was just packed with tourists uh, and trucks and oh, people yes. and energy. It's amazing uh, the how much uh, wine goes through this place. <laughs> yeah, what uh, to almost three million cases these days. That's um, true. It's, yes, it's yes. a great boon for the state. Obviously, they are the matriarch, if we will, because the name is Michelle, of course, of, yeah. of our our state's industry, and um, been very benevolent in uh, forging new markets around yeah. the world and in uh, putting the rest of the industry on its back and, and allowing us to get in there. The Shadow Saint Michelle was well represented at uh, Vin Expo in Hong Kong back in May and it was really fun to see um, how recognized they are. And, of course, they've got great wines from all price points, too, so uh, a great value. One thing I, I want to mention is when I came to this country uh, in San Francisco, I had a group of French friends there, and they were all amazed to find jug wines. I mean, you know, four f- f- uh, gallons of Cribari. The, the huge, yes, this Rossi, is Dino amazing Rossi, here. No, in, Dino Rossi. In, in <laughs> France, we drink all these, these small bottles, these fifth-sized bottles, and here you get something for two and a half dollars, you know, a jug wine. That's amazing. But <laughs> they found it incredible. So uh, when I opened the wine shop, we definitely had quite a few jug wines to sell, too. <laughs> not oh, anymore now. Not but anymore. <laughs> <laughs> all premium wines. Well, this is such a treat. Have Emile Nino, yeah. who, uh, well, became the first manager of uh, Champion Wine Cellars and then soon uh, took over as uh, owner and operator and uh, in existence today, still on First and Denny. Uh, when we come back from this break, uh, we're going to talk about some of the great wine collections you have there at Champion Cellars and uh, talk about some perhaps some of the activities you've got coming up here in the next uh, few weeks while we wane into the fall and think about all those hearty reds. I know that you brought some great wine. Some of your favorite, of course, are from France. Some of your Bordeaux friends are, are here, um, well, in spirit and in bottles. So we come back from this break. We're going to talk more with Emile Nino of Champion Wine Cellars right here on Happy Hour Radio. He's back, and he's in charge. Kirby Wilbur, live and local weekdays, 9 to noon. Talk Radio 570, KVI. KVI, want to know weekends. Time for another round of Happy Hour Radio with Christopher Chan. All right, Seattle. Hey, welcome back to Happy Hour Radio. Time for round two. Hope you got something great in your glass. Uh, my friend Emil Nino, the... Uh, Owner-operator Champion Wine Cellars just poured a little white Bordeaux for me. Um, Emile, white Bordeaux is one of the, the great wines of the world. Um, and when we think of all the great wines, the great wines are located in shops like yours. Um, when did you actually become owner of Champion Wine Cellars? I became owner in 1969. Wow. Yes. Mm-hmm. All right. Was that a good year? <laughs> uh, let me see. I, I remember that uh, 1970 was a great year. Oh, right. Yes, in California and in right. Bordeaux. Yeah, 70 was an amazing year. Yes. I think uh, in the Burgundy mm-hmm. as well, if I remember some uh, of those. 69 in Burgundy okay. and 70 in uh, Bordeaux. All right. Yeah, there's some still amazing 69 Burgundies that are 
drinking perfectly well now. Wow. Yes. Well, let's talk about your wine collection. You started with a, um, a, uh, a mere 50 kinds of wines back in the day. Um, what was your passion? Where did you go? You Obviously, you spoke French, so you probably had an affinity for French wines. I, I did. And um, the, uh, in order to uh, have this uh, wine shop uh, take off, I, I had... I decided to give some wine classes, and uh, in those days, there was experimental college at the University of Washington was just started, ah. and um, I was uh, asked to teach an evening class there, a Thursday night class, and we, it was always held in one of the private homes in the university district, and there were always like about 20 of us. Really? And, yes, and I did that for about three years, and I was able to discover many wines this way. And since my knowledge of wine was fairly limited, it's only by teaching that you can learn about wines as well. That's the best way to learn about wines is, or any type of a <laughs> subject is try to teach it, even if you know very little about it. Sure, yeah, like try to communicate. <laughs> so I, I made some great friends there in the wine trade, and uh, we were able to discover some amazing wines in those days as well, especially like a BV, Private Reserve, Cabernet uh, Sauvignons, and Camus, and, yeah. and all the, all these uh, other great California. Wines. So I'm I'm envisioning this this gathering of 20 people in a private home in the district with you teaching was primarily men. Am I wrong? Or was it no uh, no? It was half and half. Really? No, half and half. And uh, every quarter, naturally, we had uh, a different group of of people, and we stayed friends for many years afterwards. I, I still have some of these friends of mine visit me at the shop now. So fun. Um, were there any luminaries in those groups who uh, had an affinity for wine back then? Are these big bankers or? Are are they um, just regular f folks who love to cook or chefs? Or who was, who was attending Well, I class? remember there was a gentleman by the name of uh, Jack Baghdad. And he was an attorney. And uh, I think he opened a winery later on, either in Washington State or in California. So I don't know what happened exactly. Uh -huh. But, uh, yes, it's... Uh, no, most of them were profession, uh, professional in other uh, sure. industries, yes. Right, because yes. uh, those, like like doctors, like Dr. Chan. That's right. <laughs> I don't think Dr. Chan ever attended any of your no, classes. No, 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 he did no. So you had this course. What was the name of the course? Well, it was with the, it's a, just called the, the wine course with the experimental <laughs> college. I mean, nothing, <laughs> no two. The wine course. Well, back then, <laughs> you can right, just yeah. name it. Hey, this yeah, is yeah, the wine course. The wine course, yeah. Oh, and that lasted three years. Um, anybody in the business, uh, uh, did you mention like there was somebody, um, some of the, like maybe was there a Chris Upchurch or was there a, a Bob Betts in those classes? No, no. Bob Betts, I remember, had started also like me, uh, Managing a, a wine shop in the University Village in really? those days, yes. Uh -huh. wow. So we we all started at the same time. How fun! Yes. yes. Wow, that's great to hear. Mm -hmm. um, when you you, you you've learned about these great wines at this tasting group. Um, obviously, BV George Latour. Um, George Latour was the uh, the winemaker uh, uh, owner, I believe, of Bolio Vineyards back in the day, in back the nineteen early nineteen hundreds, and that was the first wine served at the White House. The first American wine was BV. First American wine ever served the White House was Bolio Vineyard, George Latour Private Reserve. Uh, I've always had a great um, um, affinity for that wine, and for some reason I'm not sure. I think my dad's got a bunch of old old vintages. Um, let's talk about the collection of wines you have. You you have a, a ex you have wines from all over the world. I imagine. Um, talk about some of your collections there and your inventory at Champions. Well, the, we um, 
primarily we specialize in European wines in the finer regions of uh, of Europe, like uh, the Germany, the Rheingau and the Mosel, the Bordeaux region and the Bordeaux and the Burgundy naturally. Uh, Rhone wines, uh, some of the Loire wines as well, and great Tuscan wines, Piedmont wines. And we always uh, try to feature the, uh, uh, not the elite wines, but the wines that uh, are true to the style and to the region. And I don't believe in, uh, let's say, searching for the 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 greatest wines in the world because they, they are not very affordable anymore now. <laughs> so we try to uh, present wines to our customers that are uh, authentic and uh, moderately priced and still good. I get to taste like about 50 wines a week and so we always discover some new things. But uh, I owned also a... Um, after after opening the the wine shop, uh, a friend of mine decided to uh, open a French restaurant, what was in those days called the Testavin Restaurant, that uh, opened in 1976. And in those days, we had a really great other great restaurant uh, owned by Bob Rossellini from the Rossellini family sure. called uh, the Other Place. And other Bob place. had an amazing collection of Burgundies and uh, the received a, a grand award from the wine spectator also for his wine list. So I was always striving to, with a new restaurant like the Testavin, uh, the Testavin means the wine tasting cup, meaning that uh, we were really wine oriented in this restaurant. And I wanted actually to obtain an award with a gr- wine spectator. And so that was how I was able to accumulate little by little some great vintages because to have a grand award, you you basically have to carry some of the best wines in the world. Yes. And uh, the Rosalini family, obviously, uh, he had the other place and 410 and uh, um, an empire. And I remember he was, uh, his family was part of my high school. So he would always cater the uh, mm. spaghetti dinner. <laughs> right. So we had really right, good right, spaghetti. Right, right, and I'm sure right. we had some good wine too. Yes, yes. Well, um, Emil Nino, uh, you, you had this restaurant called Le Testavin, and um, that's very classy. Was it at the same location? Was this the place? where Casper's is or was now? I mean, is that the place that, is it like first in Harrison or second in Harrison or something? So that was the the last place we had. The, the first place was by the Uptown Movie Theater, right on the corner on Queen Anne Avenue. It okay. was a much smaller place. And it used to be a pizzeria before. Uh-huh. Uh, and uh, my partner chef and I um, purchased it and uh, so this is across from Pagliacci then on that side well uh, right across the street uh, street from Dick's from Dick's <laughs> yes we're, we're, Dick's was our, our competitor <laughs> friendly competitor oh, yeah, the hamburger hamburger <laughs> that's uh-huh. right yes. how funny and the french fries of course that's what what it was well um, your chef's uh, is he still around the chef yeah his name is Jacques and he still lives in Seattle certainly yeah. yes, alright yes. we yeah, mm-hmm. we know Jacques. We'll have to get him on, on the show sometime and chat about some of those old, those old days of uh, the 1980s, right? It's 76 to 76, 80? and uh, then uh, uh, the restaurant, uh, after 20 years, uh, got closed in 1993. 
Okay, and I, I remember dining there. Um, I know uh, mom mm-hmm. and dad, uh, we, we, the great supporters of, of <laughs> fine living, and uh, I remember it. And we think about the great restaurants. Of course, we had Rosalini's, we have the Canlis, we had um, the Mirabeau. The Mirabeau as well, uh, On certainly. top of yes. the, uh, the Seafirst Bank building, or whatever it was back then. Um, and the Crepe de Paris, I think, was one of those little French joints that I don't know how great it was back then, but I know I always liked it as a, as a young man. Uh, so fun. Did you, uh, um, how big was the wine list there at Testavin? Le Testavin. Le Testavin, we probably had like, a, uh, I think, 1,300 wines wow. altogether. Excellent. And uh, it, it was a very good representation of uh, Washington State uh, and Oregon wines. Um, every year at Le Testavin, we had a barrel tasting of Washington State wines, and we would uh, introduce barrel samples to our clientele. It was like a seven-course meal with uh, 30 wines oh, wow. <laughs> pulled by the glass. Yes, <laughs> Those yeah. were the good old days, weren't they? <laughs> Certainly. So fun. Um, how large is your inventory now at, at uh, uh, Champion Wine Cellars? Uh, presently, we probably have like about 13,000 bottles, uh, 13, th- so, so, uh, no, sorry, let me say, uh, 1,300 v- types of wines in the shop. Wow. 1,300. And there are, it's, it's uh, organized well. Everything you can read, it's not like it's so hard to, to find. Sometimes you go into wine shops and there's just, it's so massive, it's it's almost uh, overwhelming. But here, your shop, um, you've got the section of, of Champagne, you've got Tuscany, you've got uh, Bordeaux, you've got Burgundy, you've got Washington. Um, your selection of Champagne looks amazing. How You must have like 40 different bottles of Champagne there. Certainly, Champagne, uh, I'm, Champagne is probably one of the most important wine regions in the world altogether. I mean, famous. So, and uh, it, they make uh, so many styles of Champagne, it's never boring. And there is, no, in my opinion, there is no bad Champagne in the first place. So. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Well, I got the right guy here on the show speaking with Emil Nino, uh, the owner-operator of Champion Wine Cellar since 1969, located in First and Denny. And um, you're looking to actually move, of course, uh, the skyscrapers are coming in and uh, all this new residential property is, is um, moving out classic buildings and, and businesses such as yourself. When we come back from this break, we're going to try some of the wines you brought. I've, I've been smelling this beautiful uh, white Bordeaux, and I know you've got uh, two other red wines from Bordeaux. So stick around, folks. We'll be right back here on Happy Hour Radio. Start your day the right way. John Carlson, live and local, 6 to 10 a.m., Talk Radio 570, KVI. You're in the know with KVI Want to Know Weekends. Here's more Happy Hour Radio with Christopher Chan. All right. Happy Saturday night, Seattle. And welcome back to Happy Hour Radio. Time for round three. Um, Speaking of three, I got three bottles of wine in front of me. Lucky me. And my pal, Emil Nino, who's the owner-operator of Champion Wine Cellar, has been talking about his uh, journey from Shanghai to Seattle and uh, how he may be journeying more. Um, so, uh, Emil, you're looking to to find a new location for Champion Wine Cellars. Um, are you looking to uh, sell the business, or you want to get it established again and, and carry on? Since uh, we have to move... Uh and it's unavoidable. Um, 
I'd like to, to make a move to a, a nicer place, a slightly bigger, because right now we have so much wine in the shop, we don't know where to put it. And I like to <laughs> expand my uh, selection of Washington State wines uh, because uh, there are so many great wineries now that I can't uh, render justice to. So we need a bigger, sp- a bigger place. But since I have reached the, the age, the critical age of... Uh, up there. Uh, should I tell my age? No, I probably In not. In French. I, I don't want to scare anybody here. <laughs> 78 ans. Oh, 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 I was like that. All right. So I'm looking for somebody to take over as well, and I'll be happy to help the, the new uh, new owner with the transition as well. So we we, we have some interest, um, and it's, uh, but again, I'm always welcoming some some more interest. new inquiries. Some new inquiries. And uh, the important part is to find the right location, which is very difficult in location, Seattle right location. now. Yeah, well, geez, um, this boom, um, it's, uh, well, it's a double-edged sword, right? Because everyone's talking about the rent and uh, the, well, transportation. Well, again, you don't want to have a too big of a place because otherwise with a big store, you lose control of things. Yeah. And uh, you, you want to give service to your customers. And so... And that's why we've been a great service for the past uh, 48 years. Wow. And we'll like to continue doing that because it's a, it's a very, very friendly business. And, um, and actually, as you know, uh, it's, it's not like selling jewelry or expensive furniture. The, the wine is it's a commodity, and we <laughs> want it to be convenient for our customers and um, where they can find at least a place where to park. But right now, parking in Seattle is uh, yeah is I impossible. I wonder if there's baskets on those bikes that we see all around town so you can <laughs> rent one of those bikes and put your baskets in there, along with your baguette, of course. Well, um, we hope that uh, we see Champion Cellars uh, again in the future at some location that is very appropriate. Um, and let's talk about some of the wine that you, you will be purveying. You, you, you're about value, and I like the fact that you, as the owner, actually taste every wine that you sell. Yes, uh, we uh, we're very fortunate to have all these winemakers and uh, uh, distributors uh, come to our shop every week and have us try so so many uh, wonderful wines, and we end up uh, purchasing like about ten uh, percent of what we buy. And we try to rotate these wines. Of what you uh, try, you mean? Of, of, uh, yeah. Of we tr- yeah, 10% of what we try. So um, so the top we, 10%. <laughs> we, we know exactly what we have, and this we, can, we are able to recommend these wines with... Uh, uh, to our customers uh, quite well. That's fantastic. Well, um, former uh, radio specialist in the military, um, <laughs> a former manager of a wine shop, and, of course, a restaurateur. You've got a great palate. Obviously, the French seem to seem to have that. Um, let's talk about the wine. You brought me some French wine, and I love the fact that it says Chateau de Tourtes, which uh, is part of Chateau being one of the domain or the, uh, the houses in Bordeaux and Domaine being one of the houses in Burgundy. We have a Chateau de Tourtes. How did you find this wine? Um, I um, I have some uh, relatives, some Nino uh, relatives in uh, in Côte d'Ablaye, and um, his and the relative is a mayor from this particular little town, and he introduced <laughs> me to the Ragano family that owns the Chateau de Tourte 
in the on the right bank of Bordeaux in the Blaye region, the Côte de Blaye. Okay. And I've been uh, I always enjoy the wines because uh, of the selection they offer, the quality and the the excellent price uh, price as well. And I've been buying the, their wines for the past 20 years. We get like about one large shipment a year of All right. these wines. Yes. Well, this is the white wine. Uh, this is a 2012 Cuvée Prestige. Um, it's barrel fermented Sauvignon Blanc, is that correct? Yes, it's uh, a, bar- a Sauvignon Blanc that um, can uh, age quite well, and it's a very un-Sauvignon Blanc-like. It has uh, some richness. It doesn't have the, the grassiness that most Sauvignon Blanc have, and uh, it's um, a very serious w- wine to have, let's say, with finer seafood, and my, my favorite uh, uh Naturally, in Seattle, a baked salmon with that, uh, with a nice butter lemon sauce would be just ideal with this wine. Mm, well, it is dinner time. You're making me hungry. Um, I love I love Sauvignon Blanc in this style. You know, New Zealand's got a great a great fix, a great hold on their style of Sauvignon Blanc. It's a little too racy for me. I, I haven't really fallen in love with that particular style, but this barrel fermented, and obviously there's not a lot of barrel flavor here. There's just a touch of toast on it, and I think that's more Lee's contact than anything. That's true, yes. Uh, it it's ages in uh, oak barrels for about six months. And it's not new oh, uh, new barrels as well. Yeah, and it, it just it allows it. Uh, I like to use the the the, ter- or the, the saying that um, a barrel is sort of this fine sandpaper for wine. It just takes those edges off and makes everything nice and smooth in some fashion. Uh, delicious wine, um, 2012. And, and one of the challenges I think uh, uh, we have is that either we drink wine too quickly, which isn't a bad thing, but people are sometimes put off by, you know, they want the newest current release. And when they say a 2012, they're concerned. But when you have a great produ- wine producing region and with fantastic vintages, and 12 was really pretty good um, in Bordeaux, these wines will last. Well, the t- uh, 12 was a difficult uh, vintage in Bordeaux <coughs> for red wines. Yes. But uh, I- in every difficult vintage, the white wine seems to fare better because they have a little more acidity. And uh, that's my experience with uh, white uh, with burgundies as well. The sure. White burgundies in tougher years can be excellent. Yeah, well, um, I love acidity in wine. That's the spine for any white wine. And uh, you have some richness and some toast and uh, some complexity. And it's very, very smooth. And you're right, it's not grassy. It's not uh, jalapeno or uh, gooseberry or grapefruit. Um, it's really got more lemon flavor than uh, other other citrus flavors. That's true. It's not tropical at all. Yes. And I'm digging it. It's under 20 bucks, and um, actually it's a slow sipper, too. It's not something you want to guzzle because it's just got so much flavor in every little sip. Yes, and I have uh, like about 10 older vintages of this wines at home. Oh, fun. Okay. Well, we'll find your house and uh, have uh, your lovely Stephanie perhaps uh, cook something up for us. Or? Well, my wife Stephanie is a is a great, great um, wine connoisseur. I, I won't say connoisseur, but uh, affascinado. How do you say that? <laughs> Oh, okay. Um, tell me, we've got uh, two more red wines here. Uh, the first red wine is, uh, which one are you going to pour for me? So the n- n- next wine is the Chateau de Tout uh, Cuvée Prestige, and that's a 2009 vintage. 2009, which was a very warm vintage in Bordeaux. It was, but one of the better vintages with a 2010, and it's showing perfectly well. Mm. This particular wine is um, 75% Merlot. Uh, the right bank of Bordeaux is Merlot country, basically. Right. And Correct. 25% Cabernet Sauvignon. Oh, mm. uh, smooth. 
And what I liked about 09 for Bordeaux is that everything got had a little voluptuousness. It just had this great ripeness of fruit, but you still have the acid and the earth in there, and um, it gives you great backbone and, and structure for the wine to complement that fruit. There's a touch of barrel on here. I mean, mm, just a very small touch of new oak, perhaps? V- very little, very little as well. All right. Uh, delicious wine. So a blend of Merlot and Cabernet Franc, 75-20. Sorry, Cabernet Sauvignon, 75-25. Uh, 75% Merlot, 25 Cabernet Sauvignon. And I see yes. it's got a, a cool uh, sticker, a gold sticker. That's a, a, an, an award, correct? Yes, it uh, received a gold award, uh, gold medal in Paris. All right. Yes. Well, they know mm-hmm. what they're doing in Paris. Yeah. The judgment of Paris <laughs> continues on. Uh, what does this this uh, Chateau de Tour Cuvée Prestige Red or Rouge 2009, this is uh, in the $20 range still? $18, $18.95 uh, a bottle. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, that's, both that's the white and the red. The bu- white and the red are eighteen ninety five. a that's bottle. That's a deal. Yes. That's yes. A, an amazing deal. All right, we're going to save the last wine for our final segment. What's, uh, let's tease it. What's you, what do you have here? This is a special wine you mentioned. It's a very, uh, yes, uh, Chateau de Tourte was able to produce one barrel only of a Carmenere Wine. It's a red um, in an ancient grape variety that had basically vanished from the Bordeaux area uh, during the phylloxera time in the uh, uh, late uh, 19th century. Yeah, the 1800s when phylloxera devastated uh, most of Europe's vineyards. And that's why I, I thought it was cool. My first trip to Bordeaux, I saw the giant crosses there because they didn't know what was going on. Like there was a pestilence and a plague. Obviously, there was. Um, but they, uh, obviously, being very religious people, they were asking for some help but from above to save the vines. Um, I'm excited about it. So Chateau de Tourte, uh, um, something that you've you've had for 20 years at Champion Wine Cellars. Yes, uh, it's um, we've been very faithful to them, and uh, the they uh, the quality. It's a family business, and um, I like to do business with uh, smaller enterprises in general. Perfect, just like Champion Wine Cellars. Hey, folks, stick around. We'll be right back and try more of this great Bordeaux with Emil Nino of Champion Wine Cellars. A Northwest original, Lars Larson, live weekdays noon to 3, Talk Radio 570, KVI. KVI Want to Know Weekends continue. Now back to Happy Hour Radio with Christopher Chan. Hey, happy Saturday night, and welcome back to Happy Hour Radio. Time for round four, our fourth and final segment. I hope you got something great in your glass or on your way to someplace tasty or at home barbecuing something great. As the sun sets, um, you know, it's uh, getting dark, and uh, but it's nice and warm. I got a meal to know, uh, speaking of warm and friendly, we got some warm and friendly wines here. Chateau de Tort, um, some Bordeaux wines from the right bank. Uh, Sauvignon Blanc, barrel fermented, and a 75% Merlot and 25% Cabernet Sauvignon blend from 2009. Absolutely delicious, smooth, polished, um, correct, and it tastes like French wine. It tastes like Bordeaux, but they're nice and clean and uh, delicious. Final wine is something, when we think about Bordeaux, we've got three white grapes and six red grapes, um, and the sixth grape has is, is often been much maligned, and uh, uh, there's a lot of history in this uh, grape called Carmenere. This wine, of course, is a single barrel of, um, of Carmenere, which was is almost extinct, I want to say, in Bordeaux. I mean, no one's talking about Carmenere, but you have one. Yes, this uh, winery um, has been growing Carmenere for a while before, but they always used it for blending purpose. But uh, they found that their 2011 Carmenere was amazing, and they decided to bottle it separately. And I was able to get only 36 bottles of this wine. 
and uh, it's has it's ninety five percent Cabernet and five percent Merlot. It's not a wine that they'll be able to produce every year. It's uh, it's a very temperamental uh, grape right now. And Bordeaux grows very little of it. I think there's a total of uh, five acres of Carmenere left in Bordeaux, primarily in the Saint-Emilion region. And that's like 100,000 acres of grapes. I mean, even more. I mean, they That's got, right, that's, yes. That's, wow. Fortunately, Carmenere is uh, very popular in Chile, and it grows <laughs> in Italy as well, and uh, we're growing it here in Washington State. So there, uh, it's, it's a very difficult uh, grape variety to handle. And uh, when you'll taste it, uh, Chris, Christopher, you'll see it's uh, it has some unique flavors. Um, it uh, it's I love the fact that it's polished. First of all, I think Carmenere can be uh, a little aggressive in some of the uh, pyrazine herbal notes you get. Um, sometimes we think about Cabernet Franc can be somewhat similar from the the Loire Valley. It can be just very pungent, tobacco esque, and a um, little bell peppery. This one is very smooth and balanced. It it has just a hint of that. Um, the Bordelais smell, but you also get the, the, the little bit of the bell pepper, the pyrazine, which makes it interesting on the palate. Yes, well, the the, the vineyards there are Chateau de Tour, the primary limestone, so you'll still have uh, some uh, of this uh, hardcore minerality in mm. there, and uh, the wine is not going to be, let's say, a very ample wine. is going to be fairly restrained, and uh, the acids in this particular Carmenere are much in control. Uh, the acid is nice and bright, but it's not over the top. Uh, everything is in harmony in this wine. I can see why it's a very special wine. Um, it's very rare, first of all, to have a, a single variety of, of, of wine from Bordeaux outside of, of Sauvignon Blanc, of course, even then. This one says uh, Le Quai. Le Quai standing for uh, Carmenere. <laughs> <Is that how laughs> so I, I don't know. They should have said Le Say, but... Uh, <laughs> Oh, it's, it's not like K. it's not like Le Crab with a K. <laughs> no. This is the real deal. No, how fun! And I don't know if we'll be able to get this wine often, but um, it's uh, it it was more of an experimental wine, I think. Well, it's it's absolutely delicious, and I I have not been a big fan of Carmenere. I have to admit it. Uh, you know, New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc is not my favorite, and Carmenere has been one of those challenges for me. But I find this to be extremely exciting, and palatable, interesting, um, and again, the smooth. But it has it has depth, and it lingers on your palate in a nice way. I really enjoy that. And the color is so rich in this. Uh, the deep, deep hues, and uh, it's a very versatile. I don't know how this wine is going to age. I'll, I'll set a few bottles aside and try them in about five or well, it's a 2011. Years. I think it, it's showing beautifully right now. It's yeah. got uh, everything you want in a delicious, red, smooth, balanced big-bodied wine. It's got some power, um, but it's definitely not uh, too tannic. Um, great, so you can eat it with uh, both white meat and red meat and fowl. Um, so fun. This is, uh, uh, looks like it's a $50 wine. Uh, well, I think we sell it for a lot less, <laughs> and I have not much left to sell. Uh, okay. Yeah, well, yeah, we got to yeah. find it. And you're going to have actually the same tasting um, in the next week here, right? Obviously, we've got about a week or so. You're going to yes, uh, check out the website? And I don't know if I'll have the Carmenere available by then. <laughs> right. All right. Well, what's your website there? How do we find information? So, uh, it's uh, Le Tastevin at... Uh, 
That's uh, your email? Uh, the website, yes. Website. Yes. Uh, 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 champion, no, uh, the website is championsellers, yeah. Championsellers.com. Yeah, com, and you're yeah. open, what, Monday through Saturday or Sunday through what? Uh, we're cl- the only day we're closed is on Sunday. Perfect. We work on Monday here. Okay. <laughs> Very good. So, uh, championsellers.com, and you do tastings. You can. You always have a bottle open there in the store, right? <laughs> uh, um, yes, for the, for all my good customers. <laughs> oh, what a treat. Emil Nino, it's been so fun. Thanks so much for joining me on Happy Hour Radio. Thank you, Christopher. Et bonjour à tout le monde. <laughs> oh, so I look forward to seeing you again. Look forward to the new iteration of Champion Sellers to come, and I hope you enjoyed today's show. Remember, folks, life is always better with a designated driver. Cheers. Cheers.